0: Setting fire to the stoner stereotype. Sparking up candid conversations with cannabis researchers, entrepreneurs, and advocates. Educator, author, and advocate Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Please welcome the host of Burning Issues, Dr. Mitch Earlywine.
1: Cannabis Radio listeners, thanks for joining us again on Burning Issues. I'm your host, Dr. Mitch Earlywine. As many of you know, I love all things in the cannabis world. I wrote the book Understanding Marijuana, edited the book Pot Politics, and I also penned the High Times column, Ask Dr. Mitch. I do my part for the movement whenever I can as a member of the advisory board for the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, and I'm always happy on CannabisRadio.com. I'm utterly thrilled today to introduce our guest, a man who ironically needs no introduction, Dr. Lester Grinspoon. Dr. Grinspoon's a member of the emeritus faculty at Harvard University Medical School. He spearheaded today's medical cannabis movement with his groundbreaking books, Marijuana Reconsidered and Marijuana, the Forbidden Medicine. These books came out in the early 1970s when many of our listeners were still in grade school, and the cannabis reform movement was not the big deal it is today. I also want to give a big plug to his other works particularly the classic psychedelic drugs reconsidered. I'm also honored to have received an award that was named after him. Dr. Lester Grinspoon, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. <coughs> Can you give us a feel for what the world of medical cannabis was like when you first uh, got your work published? <laughs> well,
2: there wasn't much to it, to tell you the truth. It, uh, it uh, was... Uh... There was very, very little that uh, uh, was available in the modern literature. I could go back to the uh, to the uh, early nineteenth century uh, and and get some literature, but very little at that time, At the time I started to write,
1: we're doing a series on cannabis and ADHD. I know that you've seen uh, the diagnosis in particular change a lot and the target symptoms change a lot over the years. Can you let us know just sort of what was in the mind of psychiatrists when we first got the idea of treating ADHD?
2: Nobody really knew, uh, what to do with it, uh, at that time. And, uh, I think it, uh, it was, uh, really quite remarkable, uh, the early reports on, uh, the use of cannabis in the treatment of this. And, uh, I think uh, nowadays it's it's uh, very interesting because of course, we can uh, we can uh, give these people uh, uh, cannabis that doesn't have uh, uh, much psychoactive uh, uh, aspect to it. So you can give them a a, a, a high uh, CBD and low THC. Uh, strain and uh, and it is uh, quite useful to them without their having to experience any kind of psychoactive effects
1: It's it's delightful that we have that option I know even since the early 1970s the f- sort of first line has been this use of prescription stimulants That's absolutely right You published some work and, suggesting uh, that might be problematic Yeah Uh I I think it's
2: we have a much better way of approaching it now with, uh with uh you know uh, uh ICBD low THC uh, cannabis is a much better way to approach these youngsters or these young adolescents or whatever <laughs>
1: I I do feel like we're getting some some wonderful case studies on this, but I'm uh, curious about why we don't see more randomized clinical trials. Do you have any hypotheses about why that might be?
2: Oh, it's very simple. You see, uh, randomized uh, control studies uh, cost a lot of money, for one thing. And who is going to put up the money here? Because you can't patent the drug uh, to make money on it, and so there's no drug company that's going to do this. Uh, uh, the drugs that uh, you see on the market have been, uh, have been, you know, here a drug company will come across, uh, let's say, uh, some pharmacologist uh, or chemist working in this. Home comes across something which uh, appears to be useful for something, and then they will, uh, uh, if they're interested, uh, uh, put the money into exploring whether this is uh, really uh, uh, something that is useful and which they can, they can sell profitably. Uh, you can't do this with cannabis because, you know, it's a plant. So the 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 only way we can get anywhere with cannabis is to help people to understand that this plant uh, has therapeutic utilities uh, which may be useful to them, and that's really more an educational process uh, 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 process than uh, than a promotional one.
1: I see your point. I understand you have a website sort of devoted to these ideas could you point us towards that
2: yeah it's uh uh you know i, I what i do on the website is i have a a website which uh <clears throat> which uh, uh gives a lot of illustrations uh people who have used it this way uh, and, and it's just you know it isn't a control study; it's just an anecdotal thing. But people can get an idea of how how these people have used it uh, for therapeutic purposes, and uh, you can find it on
1: my uh, on my website. Uh, That's good to know. I, I feel as if there've been a lot of. Uh psychiatric and other meds that really did develop through this kind of strategy where folks uh publicized case studies and that you've uh mentioned these kinds of things in your in your work before are there other disorders that you feel like uh cannabis may not be uh widely known but could be potentially helpful for um well other than what do
2: you, what do you have in mind i mean it uh it, it um, uh, the kinds of things that it are uh, it's useful for is for example uh, it's a it's not a, a great antidepressant but it's a mild antidepressant uh, it uh, it does not but it does not have a great range. Of uh, therapeutic, I think therapeutic
1: utilities. You published some of the first case studies where folks with bipolar seem to benefit from cannabis as well. Do you have any thoughts on that?
2: Uh, Well, I think people with bipolar, some people with bipolar disorder, you can't uh, again it uh, because there aren't any, uh, you know, systematic studies. There are certainly anecdotal reports of people with bipolar disorder, find it useful. But I can't point to any studies that have been done, you know, uh, 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 where you, give, you have a bipolar group and you have a, uh, a, a placebo and then you have cannabis and you do a study and see how it comes out. We don't have those kind of studies. It's all anecdotal. Some people, certainly there are people who do profit from it.
1: I do feel like the lack of randomized clinical trials does uh, hamper us, but the problem with the funding is is a very real one. When you had first suggested these kinds of things could be beneficial, how were your colleagues reacting? Not very very
2: enthusiastically, (laughs) to say the least. Uh, I... uh, I think uh, a lot of them thought I I was, uh, you know, uh, going off into a strange area, uh, and uh, many still do. But I think eventually, there's no question about it, eventually uh, cannabis will be used as a medicine. You know, the the thing about the problem with cannabis as a medicine is it's a recreational drug. You know, it... uh, it really has three uses. It can be used as a, the most common use is as a recreational uh, drug. It's also used as a uh, um, a therapeutic drug. Uh, um, and it also, and there's a third area of use. That it, uh, it's useful to people who who believe that their thinking is enhanced by it, that they get more ideas, that they it it stimulates ideas. Some of them are good ideas, some of them bad ideas. They have to be able to sort them out. But there are these three areas of usefulness which people who who are well acquainted with it. Uh, uh, take advantage of.
1: That's a delightful way of summarizing it. Hey, you're listening to Burning Issues. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. We're having a delightful chat with Dr. Lester Grinspoon from Harvard Medical School. As my cannabis radio brother, Vivian McPeak, says, We've got to pause for the cause because there are flaws in the laws. We'll be right back with more burning <laughs> issues.
0: More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors.
1: Running a successful cannabis business isn't easy. Successful businesses need to have strong people to achieve long-term results. At Live Advisors, we believe people are the heart of business, and training people can help you infinitely grow your business. Learn more about our offerings at liveadvisors.com.
3: approximately Approximately 160,000 square feet of sophisticated and efficient product cultivation. StrainWise Consulting has the experience and expertise to guide you through the process. Time to fan the
0: fire on some more burning issues. Only on CannabisRadio.com.
1: And we're back. This is Burning Issues with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. We're having a delightful discussion with Dr. Lester Grinspoon from Harvard Medical School. Dr. Grinspoon, I just wanted to ask about the way cannabis had kind of touched your family back in the day, if you'd be willing to sort of tell your personal story with it. Well,
2: I had the great misfortune of uh, having a a son who developed acute lymphocytic leukemia. And... um, it, uh, it it was uh, uh, it, it went on for about five years, and during uh, the latter part of that, he had a lot of uh, uh, he he had uh, chemotherapeutic uh, substances which caused enormous vomiting and discomfort and he came to hate the idea of going in for his treatment because he hated what followed he'd he'd have to go home uh, and he hopefully he wouldn't vomit in the car he could hold it until he got home and then we'd put a bucket by his his bed and he'd vomit and vomit and then uh I began to uh, let him use, uh, have him use uh, cannabis. And it was remarkable. He would get off the, uh, the treatment gurney at the hospital after he got the injection. And uh, instead of uh, uh, beginning to feel nauseous and uh, my wife rushing to get him home so he could be in his bed and vomit uh, from there Uh, instead with this uh, he would say uh, hey uh, I remember the first time it happened in in the treatment room he said uh, hey mom can we go to I see there's a sub sandwich on Brookline Avenue could we go over there and get a sub I mean it was night and day as far as Uh, his treatments where the vomiting was so, uh, so uh, uh, horrendous. So it made a very big impression on us, I can
1: tell you. It's a sad but very moving story, and and he was very young at the time. I know there was a lot of uh, concern about administering cannabis to, to somebody of that age.
2: Yeah, he was uh, well. He died at the age of 15. and uh, I started to give it to him before then, before just before he had uh, these these injections, and he could go through them and go. And he would say, "Oh, I don't want to go home. I want to go back to. I want to go back to school."
1: <laughs> it really so does it sound like all it. The, just made a huge difference. It was difference. amazing. Oh, it made a huge difference to us. Yeah. Well, and so the the idea that somehow the pros and cons of this just didn't pan out for for someone of that age seems so heartbreaking. People just didn't understand at the time, I'm guessing.
2: Now, absolutely not, absolutely not. But I think, of course, now more and more people are understanding this, and uh, and that's great. I mean, the fact of the matter is, cannabis is useful in a number of different ways, and one of them is as a medicine. Uh, You know, it doesn't cure anything, but it is uh, very helpful symptomatically, and people who have a a variety
1: of different kinds of symptoms. You've mentioned these high CBD strains, and I'm just curious, as you've watched the the evolution of this work, what your impression is for uh, their potential and, and how they've had an impact. Well,
2: I think, uh, you know, people who want to get high are not particularly interested in the high CBD. They're interested in the high THC strains. But uh, high CBD strains are now being used because more and more people understand that medically this is the uh, soundest way to approach it. And so it's, it's easier to get high CBD strains.
1: When I think about other medications that do have some psychoactive effects, would you say that the THC strains are comparable and that the tolerance develops in a reasonable way?
2: You know, there's a question about uh, uh, tolerance. I, uh, I think tolerance to THC develops... Uh, it, to the extent that there is tolerance, it develops very slowly. I mean, people who use it, uh, you know, for uh, for recreational or, you know, uh, a lot of people who write or do art or what have you use it. Excuse me just a second, got to see who that is. Yeah, uh, uh, people who use it, uh, what was I saying? for other reasons. Uh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Would you ask your question again?
1: Sure. How do you feel about the development of tolerance to THC and its potential for improving therapeutic outcomes? Well, I don't think there's much of a a,
2: a, a development of tolerance for THC. People can take pretty much the same dose from the time they begin. Uh, Now, people... There are people who take bigger and bigger doses, but uh, uh, you know uh, you don't need to. Uh, it, 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 I think people who take bigger doses just want more of it, <laughs> they want more of that, uh, more of the experience. But uh, I don't think they really get it. I think uh, uh, so. I, I don't believe there is much tolerance.
1: Well, and then that does sort of underscore the idea, then, that the the notion of dependence must be kind of confused or different. Oh,
2: you don't come become dependent on THC. I mean, wh- when a person is dependent on a drug, that you stop that drug, and there are symptoms which occur. Uh, you can take THC uh, for a long time and stop, and there'll be no. Uh, uh, symptoms, uh, no uncomfortable symptoms following it, except missing it. But not, uh, not like, let's say, if, uh, if you take, uh, if you're an opiate and you stop it, you really have uh, uh, some uncomfortable uh, experience uh, with it as, with alcohol, too.
1: Yeah, this notion of cannabis withdrawal has somehow developed in this weird lore, but doesn't seem to really be present.
2: Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I don't, uh, you know, I've been dealing with cannabis ever since I wrote my first book on it. When was that, 1971? And I, I don't see a withdrawal symptom. Uh, I, I don't see a, a withdrawal syndrome. Uh, you can stop it, and that's it. Uh, that is to say, that's it in terms of physiology. You don't you don't feel any phys. You just, you may miss it. You may say, "Oh, I love to do that," but uh, but it isn't as though you get any kind of physical symptoms.
1: It really does kind of beg the question: Why these withdrawal uh, scales have been developed with things like? Uh, disturbed sleep or loss of appetite as as alleged symptoms of withdrawal. Then uh, beats me. <laughs> <laughs> it really, does seem a little, <laughs> little alarmist. Well, I can't thank yeah, you enough really. for can't thank you enough for your time. And this is a real delight for me to to get to talk to you about this. And I'm uh, just you know super grateful. Uh, thanks for being on Burning Issues. Uh, we'll be right back with our next cha- next chapter of self-compassion in the art of activism, please stay tuned.
0: More burning issues coming up after we blaze through these words from our sponsors.
3: The cannabis industry continues to grow in Massachusetts. CannaCon Boston is where you learn everything and meet everyone in the cannabis industry. CannaCon Boston is coming to Heinz Convention Center July 13th through the 15th. Get tickets right now at canacon.org. This will be the biggest cannabis event in Boston all year. Meet over 3,000 professionals in the cannabis industry at CannaCon Boston July 13th through the 15th. Get your tickets and all access passes now at canacon.org. The cannabis industry is booming. Don't miss out. Canacon.org. Get your tickets today.
1: Running a successful cannabis business isn't easy. Successful businesses need to have strong people to achieve long-term results. At Live Advisors, we believe people are the heart of business, and training people can help you infinitely grow your business. Learn more about our offerings at liveadvisors.com.
0: Time to fan
1: the fire
0: on some more burning issues only on Cannabis and back. Radio. Cannabis Com. Radio
1: listeners, thanks for tuning in to Burning Issues. It's Dr. Mitch Earlywine here with our next chapter of self-compassion in the art of activism. This is a section of our show that helps us take good care of ourselves and each other. Hey, I've been getting some emails lately about how to persuade others and coach others as we move towards more and more cannabis reform. I do have a few recommendations from the good old coaching and psychotherapy literature. I just wanted to toss out some ideas and explain them in hopes that you can give these a try and see if you can get your friends on board to help us improve cannabis legal reform. First and foremost, whether you're trying to encourage somebody to attend an event or see our side, Of the argument where cannabis is concerned, be attentive. We want to have those nonverbals that let folks know that we are open to them no crossed arms, no looking away. We want to make nice eye contact and have our arms wide open as if we're accepting for what they want to say and what they want to do. Number two, I want to focus on asking open ended questions. We don't want to have something that has a simple yes or no. We want to open up and get a feel for why folks might be resistant. So uh, I would rather say, tell me about your feelings about cannabis than why do you hate cannabis or something along those lines. And we can have a much more open-ended discussion if I focus on it that way. Any yes or no question is going to just turn into a a kind of trap. So if I say, do you hate cannabis? And they just say, yes, obviously the the conversation is ending. Finally, I want to Uh, request clarification. So ask folks, when they say something, often they spit out these things that they've heard in the media, but they haven't really thought about themselves. So if they say, oh, cannabis is a gateway drug, I'll have to ask, what do you mean by gateway? And as they clarify, suddenly it may dawn on them that the idea that one drug leads to the use of another drug, uh, the way, I don't know, eating salt makes us thirsty, just doesn't really make any sense. It's funny when they come to that conclusion on their own, they really stick with it. Whereas if we tell them that, then they're gonna argue against us, even if it's irrational. In addition, I'd like to add the idea of paraphrasing. What I do often is say back to the person what that person has just said to me. So ideally, they'll make their case for whatever their rationale is for why they think cannabis prohibition is important. And I will literally just call it right back to them, the exact same points they made. The hope being that if I paraphrase back to them, first and foremost, they understand that I understand. And that gets me a certain amount of credit. But also as they hear the arguments come back to them, it gets their thoughts turning, gets the cogs turning in their heads so that they suddenly are willing to contemplate whether these ideas are true or not And then because it's their idea, they're much more willing to question it. In addition, I like to reflect feelings. So anytime I get a chance to hear a logical explanation, of course, that's delightful. I feel like once we get to the data, of course, the data are on our side and cannabis should not be illegal. But there's often a fear or an anger underneath this that we don't really understand. And if people use a feeling word, that's the word I want to use again. So if they say, I'm saddened because I have this one friend and he smokes pot all the time and he doesn't do the things I want him to do, now I've got an actual feeling. And I can say, hey, you're disappointed and sad. And it's like it opens up the floodgates for this whole emotional world. So suddenly I've got the opportunity to really get in the realm of feelings. And that's when I've got the chance to change a mind. In truth, few people change their minds for just plain old logic. It's because somehow or other they've got a strong emotion behind the idea. And then we can get to the real kind of attitude change we're looking for. Finally, in the tradition of that paraphrasing, I'm gonna summarize often. So as I've mentioned, I wanna be attentive, I wanna ask open-ended questions, I wanna request clarification, I'm gonna paraphrase, I'm gonna reflect feelings, but I also will summarize as the conversation goes on. Anytime we're over about 90 seconds in an elevator ride, folks can lose the linear track Of their own arguments and I'm not just talking about after folks have communed with the plant this is an important part of letting folks see the individual components of the actual things that they're doing and then if there is a logical error they're more likely to come upon it themselves and they're much more likely to be persuaded by their own words than our words so again if we can be attentive ask open-ended questions request clarification paraphrase reflect feeling, and summarize, we're going to do a really nice job with coaching others and bringing more folks to our side. I'd really love to hear if you can give this a try and let me know how it turned out. Everybody can email me at 420research at gmail.com. Hey, thanks for tuning in to Burning Issues. My hearty thanks to all the production wizards at CannabisRadio.com. Be sure to listen to us anytime you get a chance at good podcasts. I'm Dr. Mitch Earlywine. Follow your heart and let the data be your guide.